Hi everyone, uh, welcome to ELI, the place where you get your daily dose of inspiration for entrepreneurship. And today we have with us Mr. Mayank Tiwari, uh, who is the founder of Resha Mandi, uh, which is uh, India's first and largest B2B marketplace, for uh, which is digitizing the silk uh, supply chain. Uh, hi Mayank, welcome to ELI. Thank you, thank you so much for inviting me here. I would uh, request you to introduce yourself to our audience, please. Uh, introduction is simple. I am the founder and the CEO of Risha Mandi. Passed out of NIFT around 2007. Have worked with uh, e-commerce, retail, user experience, product side mm-hmm. a lot. But um, my inspiration has always been sales. So I'm very, very sales focused person. I basically handled sales all through my career, wherever I've been. Mm-hmm. And with 14-15 years of experience, basically, I'm what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to culminate both the learnings of the tech world that I had and the uh, physical world that I got uh, from you know working with the retail chains and otherwise. Uh, culminating both of them together and building out a story on natural fibers and regenerative fibers. So it's not only silk that Resha Mandi currently focuses on. We kind of diversified it. Uh, from there and moved into other natural fiber categories as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you tell us more about Resha Mandi? Uh, what are the products we offer? What is the scale of operation? And uh, what are the different problems that we are solving? Or in other words, what value that we are providing to our customers? We don't solve for one problem. Resha Mandi is not a platform play. We are an ecosystem play, which means that we're solving a lot of issues at mm-hmm. various nodes of the supply chain. We work very deep entrenched into every supply chain that we work on. So we started with Silk around a year and a half back. Uh, June 2020 is when Resha Mandi got founded. I mean, May is essentially when we got founded. June is when we started transacting. Uh, we basically work with the farmers, giving them the inputs, helping them with uh, enhancing their productivity efficiency, and then uh, help them with the market linkage in terms of you know buying their output and selling it to the next in line uh, in, in terms of the nodes that you have in the supply chain. Then we work with reelers who are drawing out the yarns. We work with them again to improve their quality, improve their efficiency, put our, put our stamp of approval on it and then supply it to the weavers or the textile mills. Work with them on uh, fabric supplies, work with them on sardis and otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that is getting supplied to either the retailers or the uh, brands out there right? so that's basically what Resha Mundi does so we've currently like I said we've ventured already into a couple of more fibers we've already started seeing traction on cotton we're starting to see traction on viscose uh, we'll move forward as uh, we grow uh, in terms of team size in terms of the scale of operations we'll uh, probably in the next three to four months we'll tap into six more natural fiber categories Apart from that, from the scale standpoint, today we are around 310 people in the team mm-hmm. with 20 more interns. So approximately 330 people working for Resha Mandi. And our scale of operations kind of um, doubles up or has doubled up for the last two months itself. So we were okay. 170 till October and today we are 330. Uh, we've served around 1,000 plus pin codes across India. Uh, we work very, very uh, deep into Karnataka, Andhra Pradesh, Tamil Nadu from the farmer's standpoint, Maharashtra. But when you go into the retail side, we're primarily into the 
A class cities and B class cities uh, we are basically not targeting your typical um, corporate buyer. We are targeting the SME segment of retailers, people who have not been uh, provided any technological advancement. Uh, we want to be able to become their back-end merchandising there, give them the sourcing abilities uh, right at their fingertips, and then being able to work with us on the finance side as well. So that's our scale of operation as well. Okay. Uh, can you tell us what is the biggest problem or what are the different problems that you are solving through this venture and why you have picked this, these problems to solve? Let me ask you one question. The sure. t-shirt that you are wearing, do you know which fiber it is? I am not sure. Do you know where that fiber came from? Absolutely. Traceability, no. sustainability, circular economy, all those are not just buzzwords. These are the words that everybody needs to be conscious of. Mm-hmm. Uh, the global economy requires climate uh, control to happen because the climate change is a big problem still, right? And five fashion and apparel segment uh, globally uh, contributes to a lot of it. So mm-hmm. as long as there is sustainability, somebody can trace your uh, garments and can give you knowledge that the particular uh, t-shirt that you're wearing is a 120 gsm i'm just giving you a hypothesis mm. nobody should blame me for this but let's just assume that you're wearing a 120 gsm t-shirt on uh, mm. a flat knit structure or a round knit structure right now what happens is the moment you get that much of clarity you know exactly where it is coming from how it got transpired how which factory made it and finally how it came to you what what it allows you to do is it allows you to basically have a social angle to it understand how many families you are supporting by buying that one t-shirt and mm-hmm. how much of the carbon footprint you are able to uh, come you know curtail down that allows uh, you know the consumer also to basically start questioning the brands uh, as to you know what are they really wearing how how are they you know, sourcing mm-hmm. it, are they sourcing it responsibly or not? Mm-hmm. The more that happens, the better it is because then we're not wearing polyesters. We're not wearing man-made fibers that contributes to more industrial pollution. We are con- working with the natural fiber industry, ecological industry, which basically makes your life a little more simpler is what I would say. Okay. And uh, also I would li- like to ask why this problem why you have uh, picked this problem to solve? Oh, why is a very interesting story. We started with, uh, so I basically, during my college days, in my third year, we went for a cluster development program in Bagh, which is a village near Indore, which is mm-hmm. known for its hand block printing. I am an IFT Mumbai graduate. You are supposed to contemporize the craft in third year of your life in college. You're not contemporizing anything. You're mm-hmm. basically trying to figure out a way to commercialize it Hmm. right and um, what I did is I basically picked up a few fabrics from there got a local tailor to make a few shirts for me because they looked cool and they looked different Hmm. nobody could find that fabric in Bombay and I was surprised that I was able to make a shirt at around 300-350 rupees right Uh, I came down to Bombay trying to figure out the same fabric and the fabric itself was costing 300 rupees per meter Hmm. Now look at the difference. Here is a shirt that was made in 350 rupees. Every shirt requires 2-2.5 meters of fabric. Now the fabric itself is costing you 300 rupees. 
Okay. Basically, meaning that by the time your shirt is manufactured, that will cost you at least twelve hundred rupees. Mm-hmm. There is a huge gap in terms of the price that the you know this hand block the printer or the handloom weaver was able to extract vis-a-vis the people in between, which are the mm-hmm. traders. And by the time it reaches to a retailer or the consumer, it's so exponentially high that you feel that you don't have to. You don't want to wear a eco-friendly garment. You want to basically wear a uh, polyester garment, primarily because it's cheaper. Mm. Now uh, that problem statement continued to exist with me all through my career. Uh, I worked on last um, last one of my ex-entrepreneurial stint was Next Steps Research and Development, where we were trying to solve the grassroots level problem, but more from a service angle, not from a product angle. Where we were, we would go into the clusters, understand their problem statement, define a solution, go to the ministry, get an approval, then go back, implement it, go back to the ministry and ask for funds. Mm. Now, in that process, you can only scale so much. And I realized that if I need to do this at a large scale, I need to basically start building out a digital ecosystem. And that's what Reshamandi is. Okay. Uh, can I also... Uh... Uh, can can you also tell us how do you generate demand for uh, for your ecosystem that you are building? Because at the end of the day, uh, it has to be supported financially, and the customers will pay. How do you, how did you and how do you generate the customers? See, one, uh, we believe in relationships. We believe in trust and transparency in our system. So much so that uh, most of our uh, budget has not been spent on marketing. Instead, it has been spent on our operations team actually going on the ground and being able to meet the stakeholders. Uh, network effect has played a lot of part in us being able to grow to where we are. Uh, second, as to how we onboard people is we continue to uh, give them a call make them feel part of the ecosystem make them feel that change uh, people did tell me when i started that you know outbound calls don't work mm. in our case uh, our outbound call conversion ratio is 60% mm. Okay. So for us, it works, and we and every business, every entrepreneur will have various upset stories where people, you know, your general market sentiment would be this won't work, and then you try that and it works for you, and that becomes your mood point. Mm. So sometimes things just works for you better than anybody else, primarily because your stakeholders are such. In our case, our stakeholders love to talk. They have never been had, they've never had these, uh, you know, when you work with a Deloitte, when you work with a PwC or you work with any corporate, what happens is Mm. uh, there are people who are respecting your opinion. They are hearing you out. Here are stakeholders who have toiled all the way through in their life. They're not poor marginalized farmers or poor marginalized SMB guys. No. Mm. Silk or cotton is a market where you have a lot of money at play. Mm-hmm. It's a volume game. It's a large money game. Um, silk cocoon on a one kg basis today is selling around 600 rupees. It's almost equivalent to your almonds. Mm. 
the farmer is making that much on a per month basis out of 1 acre land he is about to make around 1.25 lakh to 1.5 lakh rupees the moment you give them the respect you are giving them on lending year and you are basically telling them okay you know i am here to help you uh, they are more than happy to discuss it further and further on and then you can deep dive into the problem statements further 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 down understanding what do they really want and then being able to solve that technology that has been our approach worked for us and that's what our uh, go to market has been okay uh speaking of budget uh can you tell us how have you funded your operation so far how have i funded the operation so far we have picked up two uh, funding rounds we did our seed round in january 2021 and then we did our series a in uh, october Mm-hmm. uh but uh, one thing i realized in between my seed round and series i was also maturing as a ceo uh, nobody told me that don't use your equity money for working capital management mm-hmm. um we did that we burnt our hands uh, realized we shouldn't do it so today how we do it is we have our equity money which becomes uh, a backbone to basically being able to draw out more debt in the market which basically then allow us to manage the working capital beautifully well through all the way through the supply chain uh, allowing us to scale uh, but being very frugal because you need to pay the interest so mm-hmm. the business heads uh, the pnl owners kind of understand that pain they need to repay so the collection becomes a focus automatically and the moment the collection becomes your focus in a b2b game and you are able to you know scale along with that it's a very different uh, flywheel that you have created so okay. that's what resha mandi works on right now it's a little complicated but yeah okay uh also would like to discuss on hiring i think uh, um, in, in a very short span of time we have uh, expanded the team size uh, probably exponentially and uh, i think lot of interns also work with the uh, Uh, company so can you tell us how do you go about hiring the people what kind of people you look for and how do you know w- what kind of people will come join sustain and uh, grow there are two ways to do it one uh, you need to have a very good road map as to where are you going to plan to grow which are the departments you want to grow now there are two approaches again in growing a department you can either go top down or you mm-hmm. can go bottoms up uh in few cases where we needed the operational team we have gone bottoms up wherever we needed a large leadership to get created first we have gone top down the other factor that i constantly work on is if i like somebody and i'm talking to him and i feel that person uh might just be a right fit for resha mandi and i just don't know where Mm-hmm. i will still offer okay i'll go out offer to him and then let him come in take his one or two months understand what our process is and then in one or two months normally people who have the bent of mind or to of doing business or to do anything with the business they will come back to you and tell you exactly what they want to do and that kind of gives you a kick automatically because now you are choosing your own career right so uh moving on 
what are the different challenges uh, that you have faced along the way while building and growing this venture well i had to grow myself that's the biggest challenge uh, from being a founder who had the concept to basically being able to ideate on that concept bring it to the fore of a investor talk to the investors try and close the round uh, with the lawyers and ca and cs all around i had no clue how to do that mm-hmm. i have and the way reshamandi grew i had to i mean that's this is what people have been saying that you've grown uh, what people would do in 5 years you've done in 1 year and that has been a challenge now because when your business kind of expands that fast your mindset has to expand that fast your mm. leadership has to expand that fast it becomes a challenge that you're thinking that okay you know uh, i am hiring this guy this guy probably will become my ceo some day later right and all of a sudden you are at a juncture where you need a ceo mm. and that guy is yet to get matured into the role now what do you do and that becomes a flux point right you don't even know where you are and uh, what do you want to do from there so we have learned to live with problem statements like these hmm. where we mature ourselves our leadership matures themselves we uh, but we continue to focus on our business we continue to focus on our numbers we make sure our numbers are up and above uh, what we kind of aim for every time and uh, that's uh, those were few of the problem statement from the uh, you know from the mindset standpoint but operationally there is there are a lot of uh, issues right when you are trying to expand imagine we today we have operation center i think 35 operations center for farms itself which basically works with the farmers i mean uh, somebody is in haveri somebody is in herior somebody is in a deeper pocket of andhra pradesh and to be able to uh, hire somebody local there one that becomes a challenge then once you have hired to be able to train them onto your technology platform becomes a challenge then once you have trained them to be able to extract out right report on right time becomes a challenge mm. we have solved for all three of them separately but uh, it took us time to solve for it okay uh as an entrepreneur you are expected to stay energetic and uh, you have to motivate other people to be driven to be energetic so can you tell us how do you manage situations where you don't feel energetic where you lose focus where you feel restless very simply take a break okay switch off your phone switch off your laptop go for a break if you are not in it Mm-hmm. you won't be able to do it better is to just phase out go for a vacation go for 2 3 days or 5 days or 10 days whatever times it takes because if you are not in the right frame of mind your company is not in the right frame of mind mm-hmm. everybody else is suffering around you okay right people can't motivate you mm-hmm. founders journey is a very lonesome journey uh you can talk to your co-founders but not every time mm-hmm. it becomes uh, sometimes you can't even come back to your family and talk to them about your problems children because they won't understand it mm. and uh, you can't give out a call to your investor and tell them that i have having issues <laughs> <laughs> right so there is absolutely nobody you could trust and the larger you become the trust become more problematic Mm. how do you trust everyone with the information that you have 
and mm-hmm. how do you disseminate that information sometimes you just have to hold hold on to that information for the strategic point in time to be able to tell people exactly what you have in mind mm-hmm. and uh, my uh, thinking there is very simple so uh, if i am in office and i feel that i'm just not being able to concentrate either i'll start chit chatting with somebody mm-hmm. uh, and not talk about business at all or i will give a call out to a friend and uh, just hang around with him mm-hmm. or i'll just simply move out of the office and come back to my home and okay. play with my kid uh, whichever way i need to do it i just need to calm my mind that's it okay uh you you mentioned uh, about switching off and uh, uh, switch off till you become uh, uh, till you come back to the game again so uh, can you tell us if there is a mechanism in place uh, which takes over uh, when you switch off the mechanism in place is i have my trusted lieutenants in my team okay they are the guys who are running my show my show has already become almost automated in the business mm-hmm. side okay. uh, there are few ga- gaps that we have identified but from the beginning mm-hmm. i am a person who likes to delegate things rather than driving it all by own myself so as long as you are able to delegate and you are able to have your trustworthy comp uh people around you mm-hmm. they will support you when you want to switch off and if you are available to them and they want to switch off and you are able to take over their job roles they'll be more than happy to support you when you need the most mm-hmm. so uh you know it's about creating that second line third line it's very important to create those lines of trust uh it's it's that leadership that will drive the company forward it's not you alone that can drive the company forward at any given point in time so today resha mandi has i mean i have a clear visibility of my third line of audit and i know who to trust and who not to trust okay when if somebody you can't trust completely then you won't be able to work with them completely hmm. that means that you need to be able to trust everybody in your system okay can you tell us how do you manage your time especially can you tell us uh, how does your calendar look like for a typical day my calendar is very recently i have been able to uh, get abhishek in uh, from within the team he joined us as the product manager became our head of product was mm. isb grad with entire of his career into product management has just recently become a chief of staff for me and mm-hmm. very thankfully he has done a great job on my calendar he has okay. kept my calendar quite free whenever i want it uh, he's mm-hmm. been able to do meetings uh, where i don't have to get involved personally on a first time mm-hmm. um, that's how i manage my time now uh, the other factor is i don't work after 10 o'clock in the night okay and that everybody knows all through the industry from my investment bankers to my lawyers to my cacs to my uh, investors everybody know that mine goes to sleep at 10 o'clock mm. and i am up by 7 o'clock in the morning which means that for that duration of uh, you know 9 hours 10 hours i am at my own i i love watching television or i might go to sleep or whatever i want to do right at that point in time my phone goes on dnd Uh, there are only few people on my fab favorites who can actually give me a call uh, and see nothing will break loose the all hell break loose situation 
people will be right at my doorstep if something of that sort happens yes thankfully it has not happened till now right so nothing will go uh, wrong so wrong that your company will be down next day morning mm-hmm. uh, as long as that is not happening why do you need to break your back on it you need That's to be so able cool. to enjoy the ride of creating yeah. something right yes. if i continue to work 24 hours a day uh, for eternity and if that is what is expected out of me as a ceo or the founder of the company then sorry but i am not enjoying my life and if i am mm-hmm. not enjoying my life i won't be enjoying the ride itself and I, if i am not enjoying the ride then what's the point of creating the company mm-hmm. that is so true what is the meaning of entrepreneurship for you how do you define the term entrepreneur how do i define the term entrepreneur uh for me entrepreneurship is more uh, about knowing who you are you need to be truthful to yourself mm-hmm. you need to know what your inner self looks like to yourself like i am a sales guy i know that i am not a great finance guy i know that mm-hmm. heart to heart if you can have a word with yourself to figure out what you are good at and then you use that skill set to go out in the market and create something uh it will become easy because a you would know what your weaknesses are mm-hmm. you won't say i will do everything myself that's great if an entrepreneur can say something like that it's the most amazing thing that they can say them uh say to themselves first and second then you will hire the right folks around you mm who you can continue to trust like my finance team accounts people these are the guys who are my trustworthy guys and also to do with the factor that i don't understand this i don't mm. know tally i don't know finance it's not that i can't read my balance sheet or pnl it's just that it's not something that i love doing okay right i love doing operations i love doing sales that's my strategy okay that 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 point in time i can give you 100 strategy Mm-hmm. but if it comes down to uh, creating technology though i can write code myself but saurabh is much better than me on it mm-hmm. so his him guiding the team is much better than me guiding the team at that level so there are various things that you need to be truthful to yourself to be able to analyze as to what you are good at and then bring that into the foray and you know basically take over the market from there okay uh my final question to you tell us what are the different lessons that you have learned as an entrepreneur which we can take away and apply to our, our ventures especially the interesting lessons okay uh, see i'll tell you what people will give you lessons people will give you the solutions that they created uh, and but that's their story mm. it's not your story if you want to create your own stories the problems would be different the solutions would be different yeah you might need some advices so like the, the there have been problem statements and i don't want to go into what problem statements they are but imagine you are in a problem statement what is the first thing that is cropping in your head do you want to solve it yourself do you want your trusted uh, lieutenant to solve it for you or do you want to reach out to an advisor what is your first instinct how do you solve for it hmm right uh most of the time people procrastinate on problem statements very very long for very long 
I always tell my team, think and do, don't overthink, because procrastination won't yield results. Mm. You need to think and you need to be able to act on it, because if you fail, you are failing faster, and that's okay. Mm. But uh, if you're not failing at all and you're procrastinating on it, it won't work for you ever. So problems, solutions, uh, lessons. Uh, I don't think I. I'm the right person to give out to everybody, and it's not generic, also, right? Mm. But if anybody has a problem statement, you feel you want to reach out to somebody, mind you, what is your guy? Please pick up the phone, give me a call. I'll be able to probably become your agni aunt on that. Okay. On this note, uh, I think we have come to the end of this discussion. Uh, thanks for your time, Mayank, and our best wishes for Raisha Mandi. Thank you so much, and my best wishes to Entrepreneur Lounge of India. Thank you so much, guys. Bye bye. Take care.